Um, I'm calling this first episode Hello to Hear uh, as a sort of an introduction. And I'm calling it Hello to Hear based on Padre Otuama. He is a poet um, who is himself a gay Christian from a gay Christian theologian um, who wrote one of my favorite books. It's called In the Shelter. And and he says in, in his book, um, he's, he, he first quotes a poem from David Wagoner uh, called Lost. And the poem says, stand still. The trees ahead and bushes behind you are not lost. Wherever you are is called here, and you must treat it as a powerful stranger. And Padraig says, the truth of this poem is an old truth. There are the places you wish to go. There are the places you desperately wish you'd never left. There are the places you imagine you should be. And there is the place called here. And Padraig says that he's, he's made it a habit of um, every single morning lighting a candle and spending 20 minutes uh, in something like prayer. And he says he kneels and he asks himself, what is the way things are? What is happening now that I need to welcome? And... I've started doing that myself. I think prayer is a really big, complicated, uh, sort of weird thing, and I don't often know what's happening during it, but I do, I, I have really benefited from this practice of just sitting down and saying, what are the way things are? What do I need to welcome? And what might that have to teach me? I thought I'd name a few things that here entails for me. I um, am Julie Rogers. I recently uh, wrote a book called Out Love, A Queer Christian Survival Story. And I was in a movie a documentary on Netflix called Pray Away about uh, conversion therapy and sort of the um, what it's been, what it's looked like for, for me to heal from having spent almost a decade in conversion therapy in religious settings. For me is um, I'm in New York. I just recently moved to New York with my two cats, Prince and Toby. We live in Brooklyn, right next to Prospect Park. Um, here is coming off of a wild year of lots of talking about being gay um, and lots of talking about conversion therapy and religious trauma and sort of uh, how hard it's been uh, to, to sort of come out and be myself in communities that often didn't accept people like me. And after talking so much about all the hard, all the suffering, uh, all the obstacles I've had to overcome, I'm ready to talk about what's beautiful, what's moving, what's possible um, for for all of us. Um, but from the, the the perspective of those of us who are some version of LGBT and Q, um, when I first started writing, I was sort of like, you know, please accept us. We're just like you. Uh, you know, we can, we're, we're, we're all human beings. There's not really any difference. We all just love and want to give and receive love. And that is true. We are fundamentally all human beings who want to give and receive love. Uh, but I've, I've really come over the years to see that actually there is something fundamentally different about, uh, queer people from straight people. And that's awesome. There are all of these ways that because of our experiences, we've been shaped to, have unique insights into our communities, and um, it's 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 we forged uh, through the process of, of growing up a little bit different than our straight peers. Um, a lot of different gifts and a lot of different uh, really beautiful qualities. So I'm excited in this podcast to 
uh, talk about how being queer has shaped our passions and our work in the world, uh, how it's expanded our imagination for what's possible in love and relationships. I'm curious to dig into what some of the ways our, our communities look different because we're queer and how it's been a gift in the work that we do. Um, I want to, for this to just be really like uplifting and a celebration of, of who we are and how we show up in the world. I'm going to be chatting with all kinds of people about all things life. And, um, I really think that like after a handful of these conversations, uh, there's going to be, you know, all kinds of straights are going to want to be like little Glennon Doyles and find their Abby Wombacks. You know, I think like, <laughs> I think that like, we just have so much to offer and I'm so excited about uh, all the different guests and all my friends who are going to hop on and talk about how being queer has just really expanded their uh, capacity in every area of life. So thanks for being here. You can uh, feel free to ask questions along the way or jump in with comments. And you can also listen later if you want to come back and listen to it on a run or a walk or your commute home. So for this first one, uh, I'm going to talk about 10 things I learned in 2021 this and then I will introduce to you the guest, our first guest that we will have on Friday. And for most of these, I'll be in conversation with other people. Just kind of want to do a little introduction. Uh, so 10 things. Number one of huge, big things I learned from this huge year um, is that it is okay to be in a continual process, still learning and getting it wrong and evolving. I There is, is so much pressure to... Um, to be perfect, to have the right answers, to have arrived. And that's just not, that's not a true human story. Uh, I, I want to be somebody who is okay with acknowledging um, when I was wrong before and to, to start so, to move in a new direction when um, I see that there's wisdom um, in, in evolving. And so I've really learned to just accept that as a, a beautiful part of the process. And I've also realized, so I was talking with a friend the other day about Maggie Gyllenhaal's new movie, The Lost Daughter, which is awesome. Highly recommend it. It's wild. It gets into some of the like really um, hard parts of, of motherhood in a way that I often don't hear talked about in public conversations. And um, even the ways in which she kind of resents it. And I, that, I mean, I think we don't hear about it much because that would be mothers are saying they wish they hadn't had their kids. So I don't think any of us want to hear that from our moms. But um, it's a really fascinating, fascinating movie. And I was talking about it with a friend and she was like, when you think about it, like we're maybe in the second generation, maybe uh, also kind of first that can choose whether or not as women we want to have kids. Like part of that was because of contraceptives, but also partly just cultural conditioning and it hasn't really been something people can choose to do. It's just what women had to do. And so I was thinking about that. And then I was also thinking about as queer people, like we're, we're in the first, maybe second generation, but probably first generation of people that have been out in faith communities and definitely the first generation of queer people with like D shows with characters that look like us. So we don't have a whole lot of role models to look up to. We don't, you know, we're the ones we've been waiting for. And instead of trying to map straight lives onto ours, we can listen to our own inner guidance and write new scripts for what it looks like to thrive uh, as individuals and in partnerships and in community. And uh, it's okay to acknowledge that we haven't figured it all out yet and that we're um, 
we're still finding our way. I think that's actually so beautiful and it's so exciting. Second thing I learned in 2021 in no particular order is that light friendships and healthy escapes are awesome. I have always been such an earnest person and I was like one of those 24-year-olds that didn't have a TV because I thought that like TV was a waste of time and all of my all of my friendships and hangouts were like how's your heart? Like what have you what have you been learning? What are the big questions you're asking? And I'm still that person. I actually still don't have a TV mainly because I don't have a lot of money and <laughs> I still ask those questions because I'm that earnest. But I also really came to value this year and this year of big, big, serious, intense things happening. Uh, friends from like CrossFit at the gym where they would, you know, I would walk in and they would know that I had just like given this huge interview about conversion therapy and they'd be like, what do you think you're, you, what do you think you're, you know, you're going to lift today on, on bench press or like, do you think you're going to be able to get that pull up? And I'd be like, no, probably not. But I'm here and I'm going to be able to do a band assisted pull up and that's awesome. And then we would just talk about the workout and I got super into watching TV shows like awesome ones, dumb ones, you know, billions, the L word. Um, I really got into the leftovers, which was an old show that a lot of you might love friendships and healthy escapes and everything doesn't have to be so intense and serious all the time or we will crumble. Another thing I learned in 2021 is that I am responsible for my own health and well-being. I had to, like, it's kind of, you kind of like, you hear from a lot of people when you put some of your deepest trauma out all over the internet. And I had, I heard from people who, um, you know, didn't uh, appreciate what I had to share. I had people like in my actual life from the past who um, were, you know, had feelings about me sharing about them in my book. And there were, there were a lot of hard conversations to be had over the course of this. Um, But, you know, I found that like, I definitely want to be kind and pay attention and listen to people and try to take in what they're saying and adjust if I can. But ultimately, we're all human beings and we all have our days and I'm responsible for how I choose to respond to other people and to what extent I let it affect affect me. Um, No one is coming to save us. I think I spent so much of my life waiting for other people to, uh, to, you know, make me happy and make me healthy. And whether that was waiting for permission from um, religious figures in my life, or I think so many people are waiting for the one uh, to come in their life, the, the, you know, significant other romantic partner that's going to going to change everything for them or the dream job or whatever it is. But really it's, it's, it's going to start with us. It's going to start from within. And I found that uh, I could deal with all kinds of hard things. Once I started realizing I was responsible for my own thoughts and where I let them dwell and what I chose to focus on in a given day. This fourth one the fourth thing I learned in 2021, which is, is that you don't owe anyone an answer or an explanation about anything. This was really crystallized for me when I was doing prep for interviews for uh, Pray Away and, and Out Love. I, I was working with somebody who told me, um, you know, when, when somebody, when like best or somebody asks you a question about your family, maybe, or your personal life that you don't really want to answer, you can say, I'm sure you can imagine 
that my relationship with my parents is, you know, really tender. And that's not something that I want to talk about right now. And she would just like, you use that line. I'm sure you can imagine. And it helps people tap into empathy and helps them remember this is a really tender thing to be asking about. And maybe this is a little weird. I did that in some interviews. And then I started realizing this is actually an awesome tool that I wish I had had all growing up, especially in religious communities. I don't know if you've read in in my book where I talk about the president of Wheaton College asking me in his office where I received accountability for chastity. But I'm like, I really wish I had looked at him and been like, I'm sure you can imagine how weird it feels as a single female in my 20s to be interrogated by the man with the most power of the, this institution in the privacy of his office about where I find accountability for my sex life. This is super weird. We can say that to friends. We can say it to strangers or colleagues, anyone who demands to know information about you that you don't feel like sharing. You can just not give them an answer or an explanation. It's none of their business. And you can gently remind them that and uh, go along your way, which has been super awesome to learn and very helpful. This next thing that I learned in 21 is really random, but I'm pretty pumped about it. I learned that it's possible to be a vegetarian and get enough protein and do it on a budget, which might sound kind of weird, but okay. So I've tried to be a vegetarian on and off throughout most of my adult life. I just like, that's truly in line with my convictions. I, yeah, I want to be a part of nonviolence to animals, to the environment. And I think it's a really like one way that I can show up and do that. When I was in my 20s, there was this time that I was trying to be vegan, which is like a whole nother level, which I don't know that I'll try again. And I had successfully been a vegan for like, I don't know, a year, maybe a little bit more. When all of a sudden my roommate walks in and I'm standing in the kitchen with a handful of like Oscar Mayer turkey straight out of a... um straight out of like a, a sort of like lunch meat bag, just like shoving handfuls of it into my mouth in the kitchen. And my roommate was like, are you okay? And I was like, there are not enough lentils in this world for me to be a vegan. And I just like completely melted down and lost it. Um, so I've gone through periods on and off where I'm like, I can't do this because I like to work out and I don't get enough protein. But it was really cool to just like get intentional about it during the pandemic and be like, I can find a way to live my values. And I'm also all about harm reduction. So like, even if we can't be full on vegetarians, like figuring out what we can do to try to reduce the amount that we're participating in violence in the world, I think is really important. And maybe it's being like, I eat vegetarian at home or whatever it might be. I think um, finding ways that we can show up in the world to make it a little bit more of a hospitable place is a really beautiful thing. Number six, there's never a good time to do the heartbreaking thing that you know you need to do. I uh, separated with my amazing wife, Amanda, over this last year. And a lot of people were like, the timing of that seemed really weird. Like, why did you why did you do it when you had a book and a movie, you know, a documentary you were in coming out? And it wasn't great timing. And we were also in the middle of a pandemic. And I, I just, I told people over and over, like, I'm not a brand. I'm a human being. I'm not making decisions in my life 
based on what's going to help with marketing. I'm uh, making decisions based on what I need and what the people I love need in a given day, week, or month, or year. And there's never going to be an ideal time to to do those the big hard things. And I think like once we know we need to move on from a community or a job or a relationship or to take the step to see a therapist or quit drinking or whatever it is that we know deep inside we absolutely must do to thrive, then we should probably do it sooner than later. Um, it might take some prep work and intentionality, but life is always going to be coming at us fast. There's never going to be an ideal time to do extremely difficult things. And I, I've just realized like we find a couple people to support us and we take that first step and, and we go for it. And I would also recommend printing out a copy of Mary Oliver's poem, The Journey, to keep you company because it is so beautiful and it's, it's really powerful. And I, um, have really held close to that poem over the last like 10 years as I've done all kinds of big, hard, difficult things. Reminder that you can all raise your hand and ask a question or jump in with comments if anything comes up along the way that you're wondering. Um, I would love to hear from you. Number seven of things I learned in 2021 is that friendship just might be the normative, most awesome human relationship. I think throughout history, we've seen, we've given a lot of attention to the nuclear family, to marriage, to romantic partners, to parent-child relationships. And it's what we see in all of the movies and all the books. Like everybody's looking for the one. And there's the sense that once we find the one, we're going to find completion. And of course, like we're all still going to be like having sex and coupling up and getting partnered and married and all those things. Like there's no lack of uh, marketing out there for those sorts of nuclear family relationships. But I think that we, I think friendship deserves a lot more press and a lot more hype. I love that friendship is based on freedom. There's a lack of obligation. There's no commitment or responsibility it's just that we keep choosing to show up. We keep choosing each other day in and day out. And friendship is really the only relationship that is based on where like the sense of, of, of safety and the sense of security is in how we've shown up time and time and time again over the long haul in the past and in the present rather than a promise about the future. Whereas so many romantic relationships start out with it all being about promises about the future. And we don't know who we're becoming, but we can look at who we've been and we can look at where, how we've been and how we've shown up to people and how people have shown up to us. And I think there's something so beautiful about, about that freedom and, and, and um, ongoing presence. And I'm becoming kind of obsessed with the possibilities of long-term friendship, even in ways that I, I was reading articles this last year about like lineals, pooling their money together and buying houses together. Uh, because first of all, we don't have money. And second, it's, we don't necessarily need to live alone. Like, we don't need to wait for a spouse to go in on buying a home. And I think it's awesome to see people doing it with their friends. Uh, I've also known some people, and this is all, again, where like, I love the queer community, but People thinking about having kids and going to best friends and being like, would you raise a kid with me? Like, I'm single. I may or may not find a partner. Would you be up for doing that with me? And I think that is awesome. I love it. 
I love the possibilities of long-term friendship as our main people. And I think I could see myself long-term living in community and with friends being the people I grow old with uh, because we already do kind of grow old with our friends. And so many people marry and end up separating or a spouse passes away and they have friendships that span decades that actually are there with them on both sides of that. So I want to find more ways to sort of like honor friendship as a like worthy, like worthy partners that deserve all the recognition and celebration that we give romantic partners. The eighth thing I learned in 2021 is that the queer community truly crushes chosen family. I, I've got to tell you, you know, if, if you, if you've followed me long or, or read my book or seen the movie Pray Away, you know a little bit about my ex-wife, Amanda, and how awesome she is. Um, and I, I found in the process of, of that we've been through over the last couple of years of sort of realizing that we could love each other a lot better, uh, to, if we weren't spouses, if we weren't wives, that going through a process like that, realizing something that was so hard and so sad and, and then having that person evolve alongside of me and to say, Hey, I love you enough to, to, to let you go in that way. And to say that we're still family, like we're still obviously with and for each other, no matter what. I, I never experienced anything like that before. I found, you know, so much of my life that whenever I, I evolved in a way that was hard for the people around me. They just checked out or were out. They were gone. And they were like, you can't be a part of this any longer. And there's, it's just been so incredibly beautiful to go through that sort of process uh, with somebody who said like, okay, like we may not be wives, but we're family and absolutely nothing will change that because I love you. And so... That has been a profoundly moving and redemptive realization that I will carry with me for the rest of my life. Uh, I've also learned in that that a successful relationship is one where we make each other better and help each other grow. I think like we've all known a lot of people who stayed in marriages for 50 years too long, or maybe that was just my parents. I don't know. (laughs) But um, there's really nothing noble about that. Uh, Ending a marriage is not a moral failure. Um, Ending any relationship is not a moral failure and it, it could be the most loving thing we can do when, when the marriage is no longer serving the people who entered into it. So it's been a really hard and also really beautiful lesson I've learned. And I'm just so thankful that Amanda in particular has chosen to embody love the way that she has, um, and you know, with me, the ninth thing that I learned in 21 is the importance of cultivating a sense of possibility, both for, ourselves and for other people. I'm going to read a short two paragraphs from a newsletter that I wrote earlier this year that kind of gets at why this has been so important for me. And um, it was on my sub stack. Here's what I said. 
I said, one of the many gifts of gayness is that once you get to the other side of a lot of loss and sadness, your everyday life blows open and you wake up one day to an exponentially larger sense of possibility. As inherent to the experience of existing outside of the realm of what's considered normal. It's how we survive. When religious leaders said, our church doesn't have room for you, many of us found our faith expanded, creating possibilities for spirituality that our former leaders couldn't see through their narrow, narrow lens. When we were told marriage was between a man and a woman, the families we form proved them wrong, and in doing so, opened up new possibilities for intimate relationships. Since we live on the outskirts of cultural norms, we're compelled to get creative about sex, relationship roles, gender expression, family expansion, and a slew of other human behaviors that are often limited in mainstream society. This sense of possibility has always pulled me out of periods of deep depression. The moment when I find myself feeling a dull ache that says, this is it, I sit myself down and say, no, someday I will grow to love people I've yet to imagine. And they will awaken affections inside of me that I had never felt before meeting them. I tell myself this can't be it because there are too many new things to learn. I could start painting or finally try dancing. I could start gardening or baking. I could encounter new combinations of flavors that I didn't know that I don't know exist at this moment. Sure, this life is full of heartache. I'll admit when the world feels gloomy, but there are so many ways to live a life and I've only explored a few of them. It's been so key for me to hold on to throughout my entire life, a sense of possibility. And it doesn't necessarily mean like a sense of possibility for making a lot of money or like material wealth, but the possibility of going for a beautiful walk in a place we've never been before, experiencing new flavors, meeting. I think I've learned so much about cultivating both a sense of possibility within myself and also understanding loving my neighbor in expanding possibilities for my neighbors. I think about expanding access to education, healthcare, um, all kinds of things that, you know, fair wages, like whatever it is that can expand the possibilities for life for our neighbors, I think is essential to what it is to, um, to be a good person and also to live out our faith and our convictions. Um, as long as we have in this beautiful world. The 10th thing that I learned that is a game changer is therapy of uh, the, the absolutely beautiful, vital role of a therapist um, in my life. And if you can't afford it, I would just say reach out to people about maybe a sliding scale because so many therapists will, will offer uh, discounts if you don't have the money for it. I first started seeing a therapist when I was like 25 years old and I was trying to leave Living Hope, the conversion therapy program I was a part of. And that therapist gave me the strength to set big boundaries I needed to make with my family and to ultimately leave uh, Living Hope. And then I started seeing a therapist uh, like two and a half years ago in DC who helped me develop like a strong sense of self, helped me be able to tell myself what I wanted and needed and to know what I wanted and needed and to eventually be able to share that with people in my life that I loved. It's just been such a game changer. And I would also say like, if you can't afford therapy, even just reading books, we have access to so much material now. Like this year I read a book about Bowen's family systems that taught me a lot about enmeshment and differentiation and developing a strong sense of self. And I read about like attachment theory to learn more about how to show up 
to myself and other people I love in healthy ways and just realize there are so many resources out there for those of us who want to be a little healthier this year than we were last year. And I cannot possibly recommend them enough. Speaking of therapy, I'm excited to share that on Friday, I will be interviewing a therapist named Nia Baker. She is herself queer. I'm not sure how she identifies. Some version of LGBTQ, we will find out. And she's a therapist in Atlanta, and she is just a truly phenomenal human being. I have so much respect for her, and I'm so excited to talk about, to talk with her about how um, her orientation has sort of expanded her capacity for for so much in life, including her therapeutic practice and uh, how it informs her work and what she might encourage those of us, like the whole population of us struggling with mental health challenges and COVID, and also those of us who are some version of LGBTQ as well. With that, I am going to wrap up this little introduction podcast with a poem uh, that's sort of related to that sense of possibility as we begin a new year. It's called Don't Hesitate by Mary Oliver. And she says, if you suddenly and unexpectedly feel joy, don't hesitate. Give in to it. There are plenty of lives and whole towns destroyed or about to be. We are not wise and not very often kind, and much can never be redeemed. Still, life has some possibility left. Perhaps this is its way of fighting back, that sometimes something happens better than all the riches or power in the world. It could be anything, but very likely you notice it in the instant when love begins. Anyway, that's often the case. Anyway, whatever it is, don't be afraid of its plenty. Joy is not made to be a crumb. Joy is not made to be a crumb. That is a word for us going into 2022. This is obviously a hard stretch that we're in, uh, two years into COVID, and I know that it's just, it's hard being human in general, like even when we're not in a pandemic and it's, it's hard uh, being human. And so when you suddenly and unexpectedly feel joy, don't hesitate. Like let's, um, let's, let's allow ourselves uh, to enjoy here, uh, to enjoy that we've made it here and that there is so much possibility left. Um, and I'm excited to explore some of that with you all here in this podcast, and I hope you'll continue to show up and bring your questions, uh, whether it's for me or for the awesome uh, friends that I'll be that I'll be interviewing and chatting with, and for continuing to show up and being you. I know that you are making the world a gentler place just by being you, truly, each of you, and um, I'm thankful you're here.